As you might expect, our scripture reading that we want to consider for a while uh, comes from the beginning of a gospel. It's Matthew this year, which tells the story of the birth of Jesus more from the viewpoint of Joseph than Mary, which is Luke's gospel, the more familiar account that we have. But let's take a look at what Matthew tells us beginning in chapter 1, verse 18. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this which comes to us as the good news. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. I probably need to tell you that we're not going to have a sermon today. But don't get too excited because I am going to stand up here for about 15 or 20 minutes, okay? But the reason we're not going to have a sermon is because I couldn't decide what to preach. Uh, I read this passage several times as the week began and reflecting on, okay, what is it out of this passage that I am moved to speak about? What is it that I feel like perhaps Johnson Street needs to hear? And I never could make up my mind. Uh, There were really two ideas in there, and I kept trying to put them together and say, okay, I can do both of these but they just wouldn't fit together. They don't really have anything in common other than that they're both mentioned within this passage. So I just decided, okay, instead of doing a sermon, I would just share what I'm thinking about as I read this passage, these two different ideas. The first idea that comes to my mind every time I read this little section of Matthew is how impressed I am with Joseph. Joseph the husband of Mary, the foster father, the adoptive father, the earthly father of Jesus. You know, we don't know a lot about him. We find out a few things in Scripture. There's traditions about him, oral traditions that have been passed down through the years. We do know that he was a carpenter, and tradition has it that he was really from Bethlehem which is down south near Jerusalem. But he was living in Nazareth, which is in Galilee to the north, up by the Sea of Galilee, probably because work had taken him there. 
you can understand that, how sometimes the work isn't here, it's over there. And so he had moved from Bethlehem up to Nazareth, and there he was plying his trade as a carpenter. Tradition also tells us that he was a man in his early to mid-30s and was a widower. He had already been through the pain and the uh, disappointment of losing his wife. And as he's working there in Nazareth, he comes across a young lady named Mary. And his heart is drawn to her, and evidently her heart is drawn to him. And as we find out, as we follow the story, that probably was no accident, but had really been designed all along. And so he proposes to her, and in their custom... When a man wanted to marry a woman, then he made a public declaration to her family and to friends that his intention was to marry her and would present her with a small gift. Not not the engagement ring of the day, but, but still a gift. And if she accepted that gift and her family approved, then they entered into what was called betrothal or betrothal or what we would call engagement. Only it was more serious than that and more binding than that. It was a legal thing and could not be broken except by a formal divorce. And it lasted normally about a year. They did not live together. They were not man and wife, and yet they were joined together in this covenant and in this commitment that at this certain time they would be married. Well, it was during that year's time that Joseph made the discovery. Perhaps Mary told him. Perhaps it just became obvious that she was carrying a child. And Joseph knew that it was not his child. And so he had this dilemma of what to do. And this is where we begin to really learn quite a bit about Joseph. As he addressed this situation in his life and in the life of Mary, this is where we learn that Joseph was a real gentleman. But more than that, he was really a gentle man. And even though this woman was not yet fully his wife, He loved her, and he wanted to deal tenderly and kindly with her. Now, you guys, Joseph is a great role model. We look in the Bible for people that we can copy and we can follow their lives. And a lot of times we don't have much personal information about them. But Joseph is a man that what we do know, he really draws me as a man to want to be like him and to copy his lifestyle and the decisions that he made. And here he stands as a sterling example for you family guys, you husbands out there, that here he had the perfect opportunity to express righteous indignation. And you have to admit, there are times in our lives when we enjoy having a real reason to be angry. You know, sometimes we get angry and people say, well, what are you mad about? And you can't really think why you're mad. You can't really defend it. It's just there. 
But there are those times where you've got a reason. And Joseph had a reason. And yet, he chose to be a man who dealt with his family tenderly and kindly and with gentleness. You've got to admire that. And hopefully, it stands as an example for us that not only in those times where perhaps we're the ones that at fault and we're the problem, but the time when other people are the problem in the family. And yet we choose to react tenderly and with gentleness. We also find out at this point that Joseph is a righteous man. Now, when we hear the word righteous, we think good. You know, he was a good man. And righteousness does include goodness, but righteousness is kind of a technical term in the Bible, at least uh, describing this time in history. It means that he was a very devout man. He was a very religious man. He was a man who publicly and openly let God's law and commandments shape his life. He was a church-going man, or for him, a synagogue-going man. Interesting, isn't it, that when God chose a man to be his son's foster dad, adoptive dad, earthly father, whatever term you want to use, he chose a man who was religious who was committed publicly and openly to following the ways of God. Would it be so for all our children that they had such righteous fathers? It calls to us to be that kind of man. And Joseph was not just a man who was righteous, religious on the outside, But obviously, he was a deeply devout and pious man. And the way we see that is very interesting. You know, everyone in this story, which God is, anytime God is going to do something amazing and really change the course of history, he has to really reach down out of heaven with his hand and grab hold of people. You see that at the time of the Exodus. You see that at the time of of prophets like Elijah. And whenever the history of the world is about to change, God takes a very hands-on approach. And so he's about to do something amazing here. He's sending his son. He is coming wrapped in flesh to live a life as a human. So in order to do that, he has some face-to-face encounters or sends his holy angels to be face-to-face with people. And everybody in this story gets to talk to an angel face-to-face except Joseph. How does God choose to communicate with Joseph? Three times in this story, we only read about one of them, but there's going to be two more times where God has to push Joseph in the direction he needs him to go, and every time he does it in a dream. Now, I'm impressed that Joseph is the kind of guy that is so in tune with the voice of God that he is a man who has walked with God enough Now, certainly, we know he's mature in years, and Mary is still a young maiden, and maybe that's one reason she got the angel and Joseph got a dream. But you've got to realize that 
that dreams can just be dreams. Joseph could have got up and said, I, maybe I shouldn't have had the artichoke dip with the jalapenos, you know? <laughs> a dream's a dream. But in that dream, he being a man who had spent so many hours on his knees before his Lord, he being a man who loved his God so much, he knew the voice of God. And he knew what it felt like when God was touching him and turning him and moving him. You got to love Joseph. He's a man who was tender and kind to his family. He's a man who is religious and committed to following the ways of his Lord. And he's a man that it sank way down deep inside of him so that he could recognize the voice and the touch of God. God told him in the dream to take Mary as his wife. Don't distrust her. I'm the one doing this. And when this baby is born, it'll be a little boy. And you are to name him. Now, to us, we go, well, yeah, somebody's going to name him. Most of us guys, we think, well, that's usually a husband-wife decision. God said, no, 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 you're going to name him. But what that means in his culture is that not only is he naming him, he's claiming him. For the one who gave him his name owned him as father. For a man to say, I'm naming this child, is to say, he is my son. And in doing so, not only is Joseph being faithful to God and to what he's called to do, he's being courageous as well. Because people back then could count. People back then talked just like they do today. And he was a man of courage to say, this is my son. Gotta love Joseph. So you men, let's the next time we look at a manger scene, a nativity scene, whether it's one of the big ones that's life-size, maybe even a living nativity, or maybe one of the small ones that we sit in our homes and look at at Christmas, let your eyes be drawn to that little baby lying in the manger, and let your heart contemplate what it means that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And let your eyes be drawn to that beautiful figure of Mary and be impressed that that would be a woman that God would choose to bear his own son. But also let your eyes wander over to that man standing off to the side, Joseph. And let your heart ponder what this man was like. And decide that you would like to be that way too. A man who is tender and kind to those whom he loves. A man who is committed to his Lord. A man who knows the voice of God in his life. And a man who lives a life of courage. That was one thing I was thinking. The other thing I can do very quickly, 
My, my heart kept getting drawn back to this verse, verse 21 of chapter 1. Let me read it to you again, refresh your memory. Verse 21 is the angel speaking to Joseph in the dream about Mary. And he says, she will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people. Now, in English, we don't get the connection there, but Jesus in the tongue of Joseph would be Yeshua, which comes from the Hebrew word Yasha, which means to save. And this is the good news, that Jesus came to save. And the people that heard that initially were excited about that because they needed to be saved. The people that Jesus was born into were people who were oppressed They were living in occupied territory. Life was not easy. And they were calling out to God, save us. Much like, not exactly, but much like what the children of Israel were doing in the land of Egypt whenever they were enslaved there. They were calling out to God, come and save us. You've got to make our lives better. Our lives are not good. And so whenever the word is announced that Jesus is born, the Savior has born, is born, they were excited because they needed to be saved. They wanted to be saved. So this time of year when we talk about, wow, we're talking about good news, aren't you excited? Well, you are, and I am, only if we feel the need to be saved. You know, sometimes we just expect, well, everybody ought to be excited about getting saved. Well, yeah. If you feel like you need to be saved. Well, what does it mean to get saved? We, we use that at church a lot. Well, have you been saved? Yeah, I've been saved. Have you been saved? Well, what does it mean to be saved? Because I want to know what it means before I'm going to decide if I want it and whether or not I'm that excited about it. And I really feel the need. So what I'm going to do quickly is just run through some definitions here of what it means to be saved. We're going to look at some English definitions. And all I want you to do is to stop and think, is that where I am right now? Is that someplace I am that I feel like I need that? To be saved means to be rescued or guarded from danger or harm. Sometimes we just get in dangerous places where we don't know what's going to happen. And we're confused. We feel threatened and, and we're scared. And part of salvation means that God is going to reach out and take us and put us into a safe place again. So that may be an area that you're needing to be saved in right now. That may really appeal to you. That may be where your life is right now. Chaos. And you don't know where to turn and you feel threatened and you don't know who you are and what's going on. Then, yeah, you should want to be saved. And Jesus offers that. He offers rescue. Another thing is to avoid spending, wasting, or losing. Like you save money. As years go by, start looking around going, well, what am I doing with this life? Is it just being wasted away? Has anything really of significance been accomplished? Have I really lived this beautiful gift that God has given me of time and existence to any kind of consequence at all. Jesus came to save the gift that he gave to you, to give you a way of using this wonderful gift called life in the way that God intended it to be, where it means something. It's significant. It doesn't just pass by and at the end you think, where did it all go and what did it all mean? 
But through the birth of Jesus, through God coming and blessing this existence with his own existence and saying, here's how you live, here's what you do. And some of us here today may be feeling that. We may be feeling a little worthless or confused about what I want to do and what I want to be and is this worth it? Jesus came to save you and to give you a reason to live. To set aside for future use. Those of us who are getting a little older, there's something deep down in heart that just tells us it's not going to be over when it's over, isn't there? C.S. Lewis has a marvelous little passage that talks about the proof of heaven is the heaven in your heart. The proof of eternity is the eternity that God has placed in your heart. Because you know down inside, even though you can't explain why, you know that whenever death comes, it's not going to be over. That there is more out there. And Jesus came to prepare us for that more to be wonderful. To To give us a way so that that future... That this life isn't just over and gone, but rather the future opens up before us. And you think you've been saving for retirement. That's not what's most important. Jesus came to save us for heaven. To live with God forever. I think there's one more English one. To treat with care to avoid less than aware. You know, if you, if you save something, you treat it kindly so that it doesn't get bumped and bruised and... Some of you may be feeling bumped and bruised by life right now. And Jesus came to show us the way to live so that there is joy and peace. i got to hurry. I want to get to the Hebrew. I love this. Hebrew is yasha, which means to rescue or to deliver. But if you do a word study, and I know all of you all do etymological studies on Hebrew verbs. You know, that's just a, you know, well, I don't do it all the time either. But wow, you look at this, and you find out that this word yasha comes from really from a word about space. And room, the idea of airiness. And one passage in which that word is not used, but the idea is communicated is Psalm 31, 8, where calling out to God to deliver me, he says, you have delivered me, you have taken me and set me on a plane, a broad space where I can breathe. Isn't that a beautiful picture of salvation? Is having the room to move around again. Not to be confined, not to be in the grip of whatever, but that God has taken you and set you in a place where you can breathe, where you can smile and say, this is good. If we look at the Greek word, one of the meanings of the Greek word sozo, which is salvation or to save, is to have your health and wholeness restored. What a blessing that is to know no matter what has happened that you can be whole again. And finally, the Greek also speaks of relieving guilt, which really comes back to the sense that's used in Matthew. You shall name him Savior because he will save his people from their sins. God never intended for us to drag through this life feeling bad about who we are and bad about what we've done. He gives us a way to cut that rope, to dissolve that chain, and to live once again 
in the broad, roomy space. And to feel good not only that he is our God, but to feel good that I am his child. So those are some of the thoughts that I had as I looked at this particular passage. And if you share any of those, perhaps, just perhaps, if we go back and look at the Isaiah's passage that we began all of this with today, it'll have just a little more meaning to it. Isaiah chapter 9. Hear the proclamation of good news. All of you people who are walking in darkness, you are now seeing a great light. Those of you who live in a land of deep darkness, on you a light has shined. For a child has been born for you, a son has been given to you. His name, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Truly He's the Prince of Peace. Let's be standing.